Hello and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson and this is our WooCast, where we are focusing on all things Worcester. On 321 Go, Cosmo and I are talking with local Worcester business leaders about business and culture in Worcester. Later, we speak with Tim Murray, president of the Worcester Chamber of Commerce. And in two minutes with Tom, Tom's talking about the recent growth at the Worcester Airport. We have a great episode of all things Worcester. First up, 321 Go. Let's talk about something important. Welcome to 321 Go on OA on Air, where each week we take a brief but purposeful look at three compelling topics in the world of public affairs, business, government, culture, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, we kick off our special all Worcester edition of OA on Air, the WooCast, with a conversation with Chris Crowley, Executive Vice President of Polar Beverages one of the most visible and long-standing corporate citizens in the city of Worcester. And our own Kyan Isaacson talks Worcester dining and nightlife with Sean Woods, owner of Dead Horse Hill and Simjang Restaurants. And finally, we talk about things that came from Worcester that I bet you never knew. Joining me here on 321 Go is Kyan Isaacson. So, Cosmo, are you ready to talk all things Worcester? Let's jump into it with Chris Crowley from Polar Beverages. So, you know, the difference between Worcester and a lot of places, you know, particularly if you're local, I had a meeting downtown for lunch today and I, I pulled up in a meter, put two bucks in it and it was good for two hours. And I knew where the meters would be and, you know, I, I know where to park for free and we, we have that advantage. And you tend to know everybody in Worcester is the small enough community and people here at Polar. I mean, that's what makes the difference for us, the, the population around Worcester. We have... We have a lot of employees now. We have about 1,700. But, you know, the people here in Worcester, about five 700. We have one guy that's been here 58 years and uh, many, many people that have been here, you know, 20 to 40 years. And they're like your family. They, they truly are. And they, the, that cumulative experience that we have, they just get it done. I mean, F- we don't 50- need to bring outside engineers in. We just get things done. Did so you say 58 we're, we're very, very lucky. Did you say 58 years? 58 years, correct. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah, uh, he's a curmudgeon of a guy, but uh, he's <laughs> up in Canada today looking at some equipment. Yeah. And uh, he, he just he really knows the stuff. He came from Germany as an apprentice electrician, and he was working for his uncle, who, you know, they didn't get along that well, and he ended up, my uncle, Eddie, hired him. So he's been with us since he was 17 years old. That's amazing. Now, po- yeah. po- Polar is not just uh, an important corporate citizen, uh, Chris in Worcester, it's it's one of the most visible, maybe the most visible, uh, and 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 that's really um, something I, I I imagine you take pride in. You really you care about the community. You employ hundreds within the community and and, and more beyond that. Um, but you, but your role as a corporate citizen is something that your family has always taken to heart. Am I right? Oh, positively, it is our hometown, and and uh, we're very proud of you know Worcester and and you know the things that Worcester's accomplished over the years, and it's a, just a nice city to be in. It's you know kind of the right size. Uh, 
I have a daughter in New York City and one in Washington. And it's like painful to get down there. My wife, we have a brand new grandkid in, in New York. And Beth's like, well, you know, there's a, a co-op for sale right right above Meredith. And it's a one bedroom, uh, not even a bedroom. It's a, it's a studio for about $500,000 that needs a lot of work. Like, forget about it. We can stay at the Four Seasons <laughs> for two weeks a year in New York City. It's just brutal. But... Worcester is very manageable. It's our hometown. And you look at the economic development that, uh, you know, this, the, the Woo Sox or the, the Red Sox coming to Worcester, um, that's a whole development, you know, in that uh, canal district and, and, you know, the condos, the two new hotels, it's just going to make a big difference to the city. And um, when you think of us being a big part of the city. Well, the city is a big part of us and we want to make it a great city for our, our people to enjoy and, and thrive in. And as we, you know, continue on our way, we're just getting bigger and bigger and, and uh, we will draw more employees. So we're going to need, uh, you know, that kind of <clears throat> selfish enlightenment that want to encourage people to move to Worcester. You, you, you mentioned the idea of attracting more people, uh, Moving to Worcester is—is is that a function of the lifestyle and the culture and the and the economic opportunity, uh, all of the above? Is there one thing right now that's attracting more and more people to to call Worcester their home? Well, I think Worcester's so affordable compared to uh, you know surrounding communities. Once you get into Metro West, you know you, you've got to make a bucket of money to live there. It's it's almost restrictive where you can have a, a great home and, and, you know, so many of our employees have great homes. <laughs> the guy just bought a house says, I'm going to buy another one. This is great. I, I, I have uh, two tenants. I live there for nothing. And you can do that, uh, you know, as a factory worker in Worcester. You really can't do that in Boston. Yeah. Um, we're talking to Chris Crowley, executive vice president for Polar Beverages in Worcester. Uh, Chris, you have... Hundreds of different SKUs, different products, right? All types of different branded beverages. Um, and you've got some creative names. And my partner here, Cayenne, finds that really fascinating and wants to know more about what your creative team does to come up with uh, uh, with some of the different branding. So some of the recent samplings of really unique uh, Polar Seltzer beverage names, Unicorn Kisses, Yeti Mischief, Mermaid Songs, Minotaur Mayhem, Pixie Lights, and Dragon Whispers. So you got them all. I, I, well, I I try to be resourceful. Thank you. Um, I have to know what the thought process is. Like, how do you? How, who does this? Who gets to sit around and come up with these names? And <laughs> it's funny, you know. My brother Ralph and I. Uh, certainly are not the ones coming up with Yeti mischief. We don't know. We <laughs> figured out what a Yeti was, but uh, we've got a marketing department that's largely filled with, uh, you know, the next generation, the fifth generation of Crowley's that uh, they're very creative and it's exciting. And, you know, if you look at their kind of mission and their strategy, it's, it's you know, 
attracting the Gen Xs with, you know, our traditional core seltzers, the lemon, the, you know, grapefruit. Uh, And then you've got the seltzer aids aimed at the millennials that are, you know, kind of a a stronger flavor, a lot more color on the uh, label. That's a 12-ounce can. And then the the Gen Zs with the Polar Juniors with all those things you mentioned, the Yeti Mischief, the Mermaid Song, and most importantly, the... (laughs) What's that? The unicorn kiss. That was insane. How how much excitement and that was uh, uh, a limited offer introduction. We only made five thousand cases and people were going crazy for that. So it's you you can actually cause a problem because so many of your customers can't get it and some of the distributors can't get it and so we we are a lot more careful with, with how we distribute product now when we do a limited time. And and all those are permanent issues now. So we've invested about $20 million this year in a new can line to do those short can lines. And we can do the slim line. I don't know if you've seen the uh, seasonals in the, the, the taller can. Mm-hmm. It's still a 12-ounce, but uh, it costs a lot of money. And, and, you know, someday Ralph and I will actually make money, but... Right now, we invest every penny back in the business, and that's what's important to grow. You, you've really got to invest. And when we open up in San Francisco and, and out west, you have to pay for shelf space because you don't have the same uh, no, you know, recognition out there. So it's it's a very expensive process to grow. But we're we're doing that in remaining family owned. We're not taking in the big private equity money that. Uh, I know so many people that loan to own and that's there's uh, they only want to give you money so they they have an exit strategy in a couple of years where they can sell you. So that is not our our philosophy. It's it's to be, you know, run by the fifth generation that's right behind us trying to fire Ralph and me. So it's <laughs> we're we're very lucky we're in, in the position we are. Well, hats off to your marketing and communications team oh. who executed an an amazing um sort of almost guerrilla marketing campaign a little bit and really yeah. recharged the seltzer beverage market. Who, who knew someone could do that? Well, I'm, 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 yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned seltzer be, because um, uh, certainly a, a critical, maybe cornerstone product for Polar, I, 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 I dare to say or go so far to say you haven't just identified that as, as an important market that you you really are you're the dominant player right you're the dominant player in that in that area and and that and that beverage and uh, I, I want to talk about how that something you've been uh, you've been doing for many years helps to address some consumer trends where uh, it, it, it's become uh, a, a trend or more popular to look for um, say lower calorie options or less sugar options or different serving types, all of which across the beverage industry we're seeing companies do, I think including Polar, but you've, you've sort of always been positioned there with a, with a line of products that, um, you, you know, meet those needs for people who are uh, looking for options that may ha- have <clears throat> less sugar, or not as many sweeteners or whatever it may be. It's a continuing effort. We're, you know, it's what we like. Uh, it's certainly what I've always enjoyed, just drinking carbonated water with flavor in it. It's just, it's so delicious and simple and satisfying. I used to be a Polar Ginger Ale fan. And so much of, if you look at Polar Ginger Ale, it has 20% less sugar, 
like four times the ginger and no preservatives, no sodium. So we've always had that slightly healthier for you. If you look at our orange dry, the dry line that has 10% orange juice in it or 10% uh, grapefruit juice. And it's what flavors used to be 40 or 50 years ago. And we make other oranges and, and they're emulsions that are just highly engineered and there are 56 different ingredients, none of which you'd recognize. We have orange oil, orange juice, citric acid, and sugar. So it's we, we've always, always had a simpler uh, approach to making soft drinks. And what could be simpler than sparkling water with a hint of flavor? And, and it's what we like and it's what we're focused on and, and we're constantly playing and we have got, you know, great flavorists on staff that that come up with these mad scientist uh, products. We have outside flavor houses that have ideas. So it's it's really kind of a fun thing. I, I was just tasting uh, some, you know, sparkling lemonade and it's just something, but very, very low sugar. As you say, people are moving away from high, you know, sugar drinks, and, but we've always had less sugar than our competitors and and our growth has been we are we're lucky because our sugar portfolio has stabilized it's not shrinking where our our competitors their sugar portfolio has been shrinking about six percent a year for many many years so it's it's uh we're we're in a good spot yeah that's terrific you really are look chris crawley thanks so much can't think of a better guest for the all worcester podcast chris crawley from polar beverage we really appreciate you joining us on oa on air all right, Kyan and Cosmo, thank you very much, and keep drinking polar. What the heck? All right, terrific. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, thank so that, you. Bye-bye. I'm joined by Sean Woods, owner of Dead Horse Hill and Simjang, both restaurants in Worcester. Uh, Sean, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So. The Worcester food and sort of bar and brewery scene is pretty different these days than it used to be, I don't know, in years past. And you are uh, owner of two of those very fine and, um, I'm told, delicious establishments. So can you talk a little bit about that? There's no secret that Worcester is a, a, a thriving place these days. You know, this was kind of a, I don't know, a textile, you know, factory town that the bottom kind of fell out of. And then what was kind of left behind were your kind of mom and pop, uh, you know, meatball places. And they said there's many of those places around here and they're fantastic. They're little hidden gems, and but no one would really go out of their way to come to Worcester for them. So, uh, you know, we, my friend Jared and I, we, and Albert, we started a restaurant that kind of helped bring people to Worcester just for a dining experience. And are you seeing sort of a new demographic or a new kind of clientele coming into Worcester because of all of these new restaurants and, and the emerging beer scene that's happening there too? Yeah, I, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not so sure that the the demographic is changing because of the food and the 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 beer, um, but I just know that this area. Like I said, there was all these factories that kind of went belly up, and so it's providing a lot of large spaces for repurposing. And so there's a lot of biotech and medical research uh, that are planting foot here. Um, a lot of these buildings are being turned into like really cool lofts and uh, that attract like young professionals. Um, and so with that, there also needs to be 
the entertainment as as well. We have plenty of like great music venues and comedy venues of all different sizes uh, here in Worcester, and uh, and now the food is 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 starting to uh, move into that. So we're creating a you know a big city. Um, so before I let you go, and I we've gone over your the two minutes you granted us, but um, you did get really excited when we talked about beer yesterday and sort of you're really yeah. excited about what's happening there. Can you, in you know, you don't have to name names, but um, what does that scene look like in the Worcester area now too? Oh, beer. That's great. And I have no problem dropping names. Um, I'm a big fan of beer. Um, I know a lot of people are big fans of beer and uh, it's something done either really well or really poorly. And right now, Massachusetts is just crushing it with beer production. There's some really cool, really talented people that have access to really premium ingredients that are, that are specific to this area. And they're doing the absolute best they can, which is actually kind of like leading a charge in the way uh, the rest of the nation or the kind of the beer world views beer. You know, you have your new England style IPA, the style of India pale ale. That's so unique. It got its own title. And, uh, and that's what kind of everybody's turning to the whole beer trend, the way beer moves in, in trends. And, uh, and right now, uh, Massachusetts uh, and Worcester uh, and the surrounding areas of Worcester are just like leading that right now. You have places like Wormtown Brewery right here in Worcester, which is fantastic. It's actually, uh, we're Simjang is neighbors to, to Wormtown Brewery. We, we share the same building. You have, Treehouse, which is probably one of the most talked about uh, breweries in the world right now. And um, I mean, their stuff can be used as currency, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. And then even some of the smaller ones uh, that haven't quite gotten their name out there yet in, in Worcester, uh, Three Cross Brewing. It's a very uh, uh, bicycle savvy uh, kind of brewery project. And they do things on a small scale. Everything they do is immaculate and delicious and then just in the our our neighbors in in westboro uh cold harbor brewing i think they're they're doing some really fantastic things they do some really kind of out there experimental stuff that you would have to go there for and then the things that they package are just like i'd be really excited if somebody showed up to like a barbecue and brought some of their stuff and at orange massachusetts honest weight brewing I think everything they do is just a slam dunk. I've yet to have anything that I'm just like, eh. I actually look forward to the day that they put something out. I'm just like, eh. It has not happened yet in like a couple of years, you know? We'll so, have to send them this and, podcast and let them know. And that's the, uh, yeah. And I mean, that's just like tip of the iceberg. Um, just a lot of cool stuff. And you have the Spencer Travis Brewery. Well, that's not Worcester, that's Spencer, but that's like 10 minutes away. You know, you get a bunch of monks making beer. It's fantastic. We need more monks making beer in the U.S. Well, mm. I'm sold. I feel like now I want to come out and spend a day eating and drinking my way through Worcester. So um. It's also cheaper to live in Worcester, too. That's another cool <laughs> thing. It doesn't hurt, that's for sure. Well, thank you for coming on and bragging about Worcester and being such a cheerleader for Worcester. Oh, yeah. I am a cheerleader for Worcester. Sean Woods from the Dead Horse Hill and Simjang Restaurants in Worcester. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, and you have a good day. You too. All 
All right, Cayenne, a lot of great things have come out of Worcester, but I bet you didn't know that the monkey wrench was developed in, in Worcester, actually originally called the screw wrench. A guy named Loring Coase invented the screw wrench in 1841. Before that, you had to adjust the wrench with both hands. But the monkey wrench, wait. The mere thought. The idea, you know, you know how a monkey wrench works. You can just use one hand to turn that, turn that screw and, and, and adjust the, uh, the width. Terrific, um, uh, terrific tool uh, with all kinds of practical uses, not just for plumbing, all kinds of uses. Also, kind of a dangerous weapon. Kind of a dangerous weapon. It, it's That's heavy. True. It can be swung. you got to be careful. The monkey wrench developed in Worcester. I feel like it's a good Pulp Fiction instrument of, of yeah. death. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's a film where a monkey wrench is a murder weapon. What else? Uh, birth control hey. was invented in Worcester by uh, Gregory Pincus. He is a hormone researcher. Re birth control is in like a chastity belt or like the actual medication? As in the actual medication approved by the FDA. Really? Yeah. Developed in Worcester? Developed in Worcester. Wow. Hey, you know what else? Well, Forrest Gump was a fictional character, so he didn't develop the smiley face. The Harvey Ball smiley face invented in Worcester. The, the famous, iconic smiley face. The yellow smiley face. The yellow smiley face. Yeah. I, I guess he didn't get really wealthy off it. Off he didn't. It. He never copyrighted never it. Never copyrighted it. But uh, I wonder if the smiley face um, had something to do with birth control. Yep. Uh, there's, we'll have to look at the timeline on that, but I, I bet that we could say emojis today are part, come from the Harvey Ball smiley face. Oh, oh, absolutely. Of, of course they do. Emojis. So, so Harvey Ball basically invented, he invented emo emojis. emojis, not just <laughs> the smiley face. Just a couple of, a couple of geeky things. The anti-G-force suit, right, for pilots, a pilot suit. Rocket fuel, liquid rocket fuel, which is basically gasoline and liquid oxygen, Developed in Worcester by inventor Robert Goddard. His first rockets didn't fly more than a few feet, but uh, eventually in the 1930s, um, he really sort of was the forefather of the uh, modern space program. Um, what about, is it the typewriter that was invented in Worcester? The typewriter was invented in Worcester. You're fascinated by that. I am. 1843, the typewriter. Who doesn't love the clickety-clack of a typewriter? I don't, I don't like writing papers on them. I remember doing that when I was younger, before computers were a big thing. But the typewriter from Worcester. Yeah. Who knew? Terrific. What else? I think we've got one more. Candlepin Bowling. Not invented by Bob Gamier of Candlepins for Cash, the iconic 1970s New England TV show. Not invented by him. Invented in Worcester. The Candlepin, created by Justin White, a guy from Worcester. Because other bowling balls are just so tedious. I mean, I like... Do you call it big ball bowling? I, I like regular <laughs> bowling, big ball bowling, you know, grown-up bowling, big kid bowling. I like big ball bowling. <laughs> but, can't I, you know, as a kid, in fact, my parents met in a bowling alley. A Candlepin bowling alley? You can meet nice girls in a bowling alley. <laughs> they met in a bowling alley during, candle pin, during their Candlepin uh, league. Yeah, absolutely. Aw, that's 19, such a nice story. It's a good meet cute. Absolutely true. And then, uh, and then finally... Um, Cayenne, the what? The rickshaw. The rickshaw. Now, explain to me how the rickshaw was not developed in Asia or Japan. Actually, may, th th there's controversy. It may have been developed in Japan. It, it, it's a form of transportation that I don't immediately associate with not just Worcester, but really kind of 
first world living. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when, when you think of a rickshaw, you, you think of, I don't know, New Delhi at the turn of the century. But um, it was called the Mandron Lorry. The Mandron Lorry. And, and honestly, the, the, these, uh, these, bicycle, these, these bicycle guys who ride around Boston and New York looking for rides. The pedicabs. The pedicabs. <laughs> <laughs> Big ball bowling, these bicycle guys. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. These pedicabs, it's a rickshaw, right? It's yeah. a, and those guys are suffering too. Oh, Not yeah. as much as the rickshaw boy. Yeah. I, those guys are you suffering. couldn't pay me to drive a pedicab. Tough stuff. Me neither. Lots all right. of stuff from Worcester. Lots of great stuff from Worcester. Um, all right, that's going to end it for three, two, one, go. This week's all Worcester edition. Three, two, one, go is recorded in Studio One O A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room, at our building in the heart of Government Center, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey, Kyan, I forgot to say goodbye. Thanks and goodbye. Oh, you're welcome <laughs> and farewell. All right, thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Monsieur. That's all for 321 Go. Up next, we've got President of the Worcester Chamber of Commerce, Tim Murray. This past week, especially, was a pretty big week in Worcester related to the Red Sox, and I was hoping you could talk about. Um, all of the excitement around um, uh, the Red Sox AAA farm team coming to Worcester, the economic development that's driving the infrastructure and, and, and all the other pieces of that, which have really been a remarkable story over the past several weeks. Yeah, I, you know, it's a, it's a big deal, you know, for I think a couple of key reasons. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of excitement around the fact that the, the Worcester Red Sox are coming to Worcester. And, you know, the Red Sox are. Uh, not just a great New England brand, really, it's an iconic uh, international brand. And, you know, we see that when the Red Sox go visiting uh, opposing teams around the country. Oftentimes you see more Red Sox fans there than some of their local fans. And, uh, you know, kind of a universal sign that you're from New England is uh, anywhere around the globe if you've got a Red Sox hat on. So, you know, to have that brand uh, come to your city is, is a real plus. And, and you're bringing, you know, top top quality baseball that in and of itself will bring, you know, hundreds of thousands of new visitors annually into the city of Worcester from, you know, all across New England uh, because of Worcester's central location. But, you know, opposing teams, scouts, agents, and all of those things coming to Worcester. So, you know, that's really exciting. Um, but really, you know, the I think the linchpin and, and what drove this as well is that, you know, this is a hundred million dollar ballpark that includes the 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 Worcester Red Sox. Uh, that's part of a, bro- a larger two hundred and forty million dollar economic development project uh, that'll clean up a brownfield site in the city of Worcester. That will create uh, two hundred fifty new units of market rate housing, two hotels, retail, a garage, and then a long needed redesign of of Kelly Square. Uh, from a transportation perspective. So this is going to create jobs, expand the tax base, uh, and bring great baseball with the Red Sox brand uh, to the city. So, and you can comment a little bit more, I think, on the overall sort of family-friendly sports and entertainment that are generally coming to the city. I mean, it's not just the now Worcester Red Sox. You've got, you know, hockey and football. What is 
sort of you're a family guy and you've, you're born and raised in Worcester. So what does that mean for, you know, sort of everybody and not only living there, but visiting on all scales? Yeah, you know, the the one thing that's nice about AAA baseball, it is family-friendly and it's affordable, and, and it'll do that. You know, we've got a collegiate league baseball team that's done well in, in, in that regard, you know, providing a family-friendly environment uh, called the Worcester Bravehearts. But, you know, with the Red Sox, again, you know, these are the players that are going to be back and forth between here and Fenway. Uh, these are the, the future stars or the current stars coming down to rehab so we're really, you know, excited about the the, the, the Red Sox announcement, and it does add to, um, you know, what I call a growing sports momentum. Uh, Cliff Rucker, uh, you know, back in uh, 2015, you know, I had a chance to to, to meet him through a, a friend that, uh, uh, excuse me, a consultant that he was using, who I was introduced to from a friend, who had been a former uh, executive in the. Pittsburgh Penguins organization and a former commissioner of the ECHL who was doing some consulting with Mr. Rucker as he explored bringing minor league hockey or acquiring a minor league hockey team somewhere in New England. And Worcester was on the list. And we had a chance to meet with Cliff um, and show him the city and what was happening. And he did his due diligence and, and picked Worcester. And, uh, you know, last year they had their inaugural year as an ECHL franchise, you know, pro team associated with the New York Islanders and they winning season made the playoffs and it was you know very successful uh, in terms of uh, uh, an inaugural season and, and, and bringing hockey and Mr. Rucker has gone on to make you know probably when it's all said and done close to 50 million dollars of private sector investment in the city of Worcester beyond the hockey team and the the big piece of it is he built two new hockey rinks with 40,000 square feet of retail in the heart of the city behind Union Station. And uh, and that has, you know, recreated, you know, people coming into the city and, and a new level of investment in the Canal District, which is just a block or two away from where the proposed Polar Park, where the, the Worcester Red Sox will play. So, you know, that's, again, it's bringing people in, giving people a chance to see Worcester in a new light. The people who haven't been to the city in 15, 20 years, they come in, and I can't tell you how many times people say, wow, this is completely different than what I hear or see you know, or on the TV or, or in the news um, or when I was last here. And that then creates an excitement and people come back. Um, so that, and, and then this year we had a, a pro arena football team start as well, uh, the Massachusetts Pirates, and uh, they also made the playoffs in their first year. So uh, some, some, some cool things relating to sports happening. Yeah, you know, Tim, I, I take my two boys, 10 and 15, to a lot of sporting events. i got to tell you, in this past year, two, two of the most sort of interesting, fun, exciting uh, outings we had were the Worcester Railers and the Massachusetts Pirates at the DCU Center. And, and, and again, a great family-friendly environment, uh, a lot of excitement. Uh, it, it was terrific. I, I've, I'm someone who sort of has always associated, whether it's theater and music or sports, Associated Worcester with 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 really strong entertainment, if if for nothing else, just the venues. Um, but um, there really is this strong concentration around family friendly sporting events, which I think is terrific. Uh, and people are becoming invested in the franchises and the teams. Does that enable sort of other activity or other investment opportunities? It, it certainly obviously benefits things like nightlife and restaurants and such. But it, can it be a linchpin to other things because of what it does for the image of the city? Yeah, I mean, when you be able to, it is. I mean, if we try to you know build an eighteen hour a day downtown, you know, having 
these uh, regular events that bring people and crowds that help support some of the restaurants that makes it then us easier easier for us to pitch housing and reinvestment of housing in the downtown and hotels and we've seen three new hotels open up over the last several years all in walking distance from the DCU center and also walking distance from what will be the new polar park um you know the that housing then <laughs> Those people, you know, when there are not events or games going on, are going to you know, need something to eat or a supermarket or go to the bank or things. So, you know, you need to kind of create this virtuous cycle, if you will. And, and you know, the, the sports and the crowds associated, you know, help drive some of those numbers in terms of the retail and then make it easier as, as you bring in developers and, and they come and they build housing. One of the things that they market to people potentially living in their housing is that there's a lot of activity in and around where you could prospectively live. So, so that's, it's definitely, you know, helps uh, in terms of encouraging and, 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 and trying to get that private sector development to take place. So without a doubt, and, and related to the whole sports scene, you know, we've also seen Worcester's arts and cultural community make significant strides and play a catalytic role and bringing new visitors into our city as well. You know, the Hanover Theater just celebrated its 10th anniversary. It's one of the busiest uh, uh, theaters in the country in terms of uh, events annually and visitors. And oftentimes people come in for that, uh, for a show, you know, for a show or, to, or, or a concert or something. Uh, they go out to dinner before or come in for the show and go for drinks after. And we have seen, you know, from from their monitoring of where their visitors are coming from, along with some of our, rest, our our restaurants, tours sharing this information with us, that increasingly people from the 495, even as far as the 128 corridor, you know, choosing Worcester as a arts theater restaurant option, uh, uh, as and then the sports is is another piece of it. Okay. Um- Tim, are you are president and CEO of the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce since 2013. Uh, just to close it out, I wanted to ask you about a couple of the programs uh, uh, and, 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 and some of the things that the chamber is doing uh, in terms of enabling startups. You have a program called, I think it's called Startup Worcester, uh, as well as the guidance uh, that you offer businesses in, in, in doing business in Worcester or relocating or whatever it may be. Yeah, no, happy to answer. And I just, you know, in the chamber, let me just say, you know, we're working on bringing investors and developers in. And in terms of trying to help bring visitors into the city, you know, we work hand in glove with a sister organization called Discover Central Massachusetts, which is the kind of the travel and tourism arm of the city and one of the state's regional tourism uh, uh, yeah, council uh, entity. So Discover Central Mass does a, lot of, does a lot of great work, and we support that and work with them. So they deserve a lot of credit for the for the visiting uh, visitors and, and and the momentum in that regard. But at the, at the chamber, you know, we work on multiple fronts. And uh, to your question, you know, we have three words that we use to organize our work here: it's recruit, retain, and incubate. What can we do to re- recruit? New investment, new businesses to, to, to Worcester and Central Massachusetts. How do we create an environment, uh, both in terms of the amenities and, and activities for people, families, and workers, as well as public policies and government to retain existing businesses and allow them to grow and expand, and then incubate. How do we incubate new businesses? And Startup Worcester is, you know, part of that. We've got two assets here in Worcester in that regard. We've got. 35,000 plus college students, many of them in areas that are known for innovation and, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurship. 
And then we have a, an immigrant population that, you know, by its nature is uh, willing to be entrepreneurial. And for many of the cultures that, that our immigrants come from, starting a business is something they're accustomed to doing. So Startup Worcester and another program we run, Worcesterpreneurs, is about uh, training and providing mentoring to these prospective businesses, uh, sometimes small cash benefits, free rent, and linking them up with services that can help them kind of start a new business and grow it. So I have to ask uh, before we go, as a lifelong Worcester resident, as long as I've known you, you've always been such a cheerleader for Worcester and just really loved the city so much. Seeing how far it's come and all of this growth, I mean, it's got to feel really good. No, it does. I mean, we've we've made a lot of strides in its teamwork over the last 15 years. Uh, we have had a few different roles, you know, president, CEO of the chamber, lieutenant governor, and as mayor. But, you know, I think what our uh, uh, thing is collaboration and uh, between government and business the higher ed sector among others and that's really enabled us to 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 put together a coordinated agenda and build on it and so that makes you feel good i mean but at the end of the day where there's economic growth and activity you want to make sure that all people can participate in it and, and have an opportunity to towards economic mobility so you know, we continue to work in making sure that as the city grows and 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 and, and uh, there's success that people can plug into a variety of jobs, and that's where like something like manufacturing is important to us here at the chamber and uh, workforce training and development and expansion of Oak Tech programs. We want to have everyone have a chance, you know, to to access economic mobility, and uh, so we're excited about where, where things are, but but still more work to do. All right. Tim Murray, President and CEO of the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce. Thanks so much for joining us on this special All Worcester edition of OA on Air. Thank you. I'm glad, uh, glad uh, to be on and glad you're, you're covering the, the momentum underway. Lots of it. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Hi, Kyan. It's nice to be back with you. Two minutes with Tom. The Worcester edition. It is the Worcester edition. It is. That's that. We are talking all things Worcester this That's week. That's great. So what would you like to talk about? So I thought I'd ask you a little bit about the Worcester Airport. It's got a uh, lot to grow. It nearly the publicity that it should. And it's growing. Well, thank God Massport had a vision and took it over, uh, frankly, some years ago because they saw the economy of Worcester really needed the total infrastructure surrounding. They needed roadways, railways, busways. They needed air as well. And that airport needed to be kind of kicked in the shin a little bit and, and moved so that we have this year thousands of air, airplane landings, which means tens of thousands of people coming in, touring the city of, of Worcester, coming and going, as well as people coming in to do business in Worcester, as well as business people leaving to go elsewhere around the country. America, we have uh, Delta, we have JetBlue, and I understand that we're going to have uh, American joining them pretty sh- uh, shortly as well. I don't know if that I have that right. I think it's I think it's, it's JetBlue and American that are currently there. I think it's JetBlue and American that are currently there, and Delta's going to join them this year. That's what it is. Hey, by the way, Retrix has built a fixed base operation in Worcester for private jets and aviation. So it's not just commercial aviation. It's, it's folks with private air capabilities flying in and out of, of Worcester as well because of Rectrix. So it's a real boon. And so they're plus. covering all the bases. They're covering every base they can. It's great. Oh, I think it's great for the whole region, whether we're talking about travel and tourism or we're talking about business. Business people have to be able to roam around the world. Business today is global. 
um, and and people will come and go to Worcester, and uh, people in Worcester will come and go all, all over the world and return home, and it's it's just a great tool in the infrastructural transportation makeup. All thanks to Massport. All things and thanks to Massport. <laughs> well, thanks, Tom. Thanks, Diane. That's it for this week's All Things Worcester WooCast episode of OA on Air. Thanks to everyone who talked with us this week. And now I encourage you to all take a trip out to Worcester yourselves. And I'd be remiss if I didn't note that this has been an extremely busy and important news week with so much happening that will have long-term effects on the future of our country. We're proud to have had the opportunity to focus on Worcester this week at an exciting time for the city. We'll be back next week to digest and talk through the ongoing events as they continue to unfold. And in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, our website, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Talk to you next week.